Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. into the word today because I believe the way the Holy Spirit has moved and ministered to us is in preparation and along with what he wants to minister to our spirits today. Hallelujah. We've been singing and worshiping our Savior Amen. and singing about and worshiping his supernatural salvation for us. And when we talk about the word salvation, sometimes we have a small picture of it. And I want to expand and enlarge our picture of salvation because the word salvation in the New Testament, it means liberation, freedom, healing. It includes prosperity. It is a, it is a word that covers so many aspects of our life. It utterly talks about whatever is broken being made whole. We know that the main flow of salvation is to restore us to relationship with God. He has saved us from our sins. That was the main problem, is that because of Adam's fall, we were in, all of us were, were in a situation where we needed a savior. We were sinners by nature. It says in Ephesians chapter two that we walked in the, the lust of our flesh and we did what was our, our impulses to do because we weren't alive unto God in our spirit. And so when Jesus saved us, he did all of those things. He set us free from the sin that was in us and put his nature in us instead. And that's why he said, you must be born again. So when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about going to heaven and that's included in the salvation that we are alive unto God. We're saved from sin. We are, we are healed by his stripes. It was everything that sin caused to damage us, salvation reverses that and brings us back to wholeness in God. And so let's look at a few things concerning Jesus and his salvation. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and let's look at verse 17. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Hallelujah. To make reconciliation. The word reconciliation is a word that we use in accounting. If you... Don't reconcile your bank account. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Reconciling the bank account means that we take everything that was deposited in there and we record it. And then we take every transaction that was made and we record it. And we make sure that we have all of those detailed transactions and deposits. And then we compute them to determine what's left in the account. And so our accounts all had a sin deposit in them. They were, they were sin accounts. And so Jesus came and he made the righteous deposit that canceled out all the sin account. And he reconciled that sin and took the sin so that it was no longer our nature to be sinners. 
but instead he placed, he made the deposit of his nature in us. We are partakers of his divine nature so that we're no longer sinners by nature. We have a flesh body, so we have the capacity to sin, but because we're alive unto God through the being born again, we are not by nature sinners anymore. We've been born again. Amen. We've been born of God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, right? Verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You got to take that to heart. I'm a new creature. I'm not the creature I was. I'm not the creation. I'm not the being. He is a new being. I'm not the being that I was before I accepted Jesus as Lord. Before I accepted Jesus as Lord, I was a different person. I was the person born in sin and shaping in iniquity. I was the person uh, who was uh, controlled by my flesh and because there was no spiritual life in me. But I accepted Jesus as Lord, and if any man be in Christ, if any man has accepted Jesus as Lord and been placed into him, he is new. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, verse 18, and all things are of God. So and is connecting there. All things are made new. You are made new and you are made of God. This pulpit is made of wood and metal. It, that's, I'm telling you what is the components that comprise this pulpit. It is made of wood and metal. That's what's in it. That's what it's made of. You can't change that without just, you can't change it, right? If you wanted to change what this is made of, you'd have to make a new one out of something else. So you are of sin, but now you are of God. He made a new you out of himself. You are born of God. The seed of his word, the incorruptible seed of his word, the same seed of his word that brought life to Mary's womb when she received the word of God. You received the word that said Jesus died for your sins, that he was crucified uh, to pay for the debt that you owed. You believed that in your heart. You received that word, and that word caused you to be born. The real you, the you who you are today, you've been born, and you were born. I was born on August 10th of 1992. My physical body was born in 1968, but that's not who I am today. I'm not this body. This body was born in 1968, but the real me, the me who I am today, I was born in 1992, August 10th of 1992, the day I accepted Jesus as Lord. So the me that I am today is a new being, Amen. a being born of God, not, not of wood, not of sin, but of God. I have his characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. That surely didn't come from me. If I've been patient with anybody in this room, it was the character of God working in me, right? Amen. Hallelujah. It was, it's God's love in us. It's his patience in us. It's his faith working through us. It's his character. His character is now available to me. Why? Because I'm born of God. You are born of God. And that could only happen because he reconciled. So Jesus had to make a deposit in your account that canceled out and removed the deposit of sin that was present there. So he just, what, you know what Jesus did? Let's reconcile this account. I'm going to close this old account and I'm going to open a new one. I'm going to just open a new account. And this is your born of God account. The other one, it doesn't exist anymore. We're just going to close that sin account out because that's not who you are today. You're not born of sin anymore. You're born of God. And so as, a, a, the, as we look at our 
our salvation because Jesus reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? What did it take for Jesus to save us? What did it take? Well, right here in this, we see in verse uh, 18, let's go down to 21. He hath made him to be sin for us. This is part of what it took for Jesus to reconcile us. He had to become sin for us. For him to close the old account, he had to become sin for us. He had to be deposited in that sin account. But Jesus never sinned. He, but God made him to be sin for us. He never sinned. He was the spotless lamb. Jesus walked on this earth for the 33 and a half years that history records, and he was tempted in every way. He was tempted to sin in every way you've ever been tempted to sin. And Jesus overcame every temptation, and he walked on this earth alive unto God and never sinned. He had a flesh body just like we have a flesh body. He had cravings and he overcame them by the person he was in God. The, the life of God in him. Just like the life of God is in you and you can overcome every temptation by leaning to the life. You never have to sin another day in your life. It's not obligation. It's not an obligation. You never have to sin. Another day, and you could live the rest of your life. It's possible. Through the blood, through the relationship we have with God, it's possible that we could live the rest of our life and not sin. We'd have to learn how to walk in the Spirit, wouldn't we? We'd have to learn how to, how to put to death the, the cravings of the flesh. Right? But we can. And He wants us to. And that's why the more you walk with God and the more you understand who you are, the less the less those temptations to sin have, have any sway over you and the more skilled you become in walking sin-free. And praise God if we do miss it. If we do sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. If we'll go to him, confess our sins, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. So what I'm saying to you is our salvation our salvation required that Jesus be made sin for us. And so I want to look at two examples. The first one is found in Levitic Leviticus chapter 16. And the Bible gives us these images. When we talk about our salvation, I, I want you to realize that a lot of what we see happening here in the Old Testament is what the Old Testament saints, they walked in God's temporary provision, and we walk in his, in the full provision of what they had temporarily. So what they had to, to maintain their walk with God was a blood covering of animals. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I'd not been raised in church, and I thought, this is gross. Why are we talking about this? Why, I don't, why, why did they do that? I really, the very first time I ever heard Abraham and Isaac's story, I'm like, whoa, this is a little bit weird, right? But I want you to realize that God sent his son as the lamb. He's his lamb. And a lot of what we have in the Old Testament that might seem so foreign to us was them practicing the lesson of substitution, I mean, think about this. When John the Baptist stepped out and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We think, whoa, that's great. I love that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whoa, that's great. But everybody standing there that day had never seen the concept of blood that could take away sin. They had only known blood that could cover their sin. They said, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, we know about lambs. We know about the sacrifice. We know about going to the temple and bringing our, our animal that we are endeared to, that we love, that we've had in our house, and that we've been, we, it's our firstborn lamb. And, and we, know what, we know what it's like to bring that lamb, but that lamb take our place. They practiced it. 
They practiced substitution. Every time that you read through how they, they had that altar, that brazen altar, and they would bring the lambs and they would uh, spill the blood of the lambs and the, the blood would go down to the basin of the altar. It was an altar probably as big as this room. And it was made of brass and they put it together. I'm going to say as big as this room. It could have probably fit in this room. And um, the, the people were not allowed to come into the courtyard. They could only come to the gate and they would bring their sacrifice and the Levitical priests would come and get those animals and they would, they would line them up and they would bring them and they would sacrifice those animals and then the blood of those animals would all gather at the basin and they would take some of that mingled blood in and they would cover the mercy seat. One, one priest, the high priest, he, they would carry it and they would sprinkle all of the different pieces of furniture in the holy place, which included the, the table of showbread and included the altar of incense. All of those things uh, were made holy or cleansed. So they had to cleanse all the articles in the temple. And then they took the blood into the holy of holies and they covered the mercy seat. The mercy seat looked like um, two hands coming out, had angels around it. It was made of gold, and so it looked like a seat. It, it, I'm, I remember the John Deere tractor that my grandfather drove, and I thought, that kind of looks like a tractor seat the way I've seen it portrayed. So anyway, it, but it, looked, it was a seat, and it was the seat of God's mercy, and the blood would cover that, and God would see the blood, and, and they would be able to have their relationship with God through the year. But every year they had to do it again because the consciousness of sins came back, the consciousness that I'm a sinner. So it could never fix that. It could never change that. The blood of the animals couldn't. But the blood of our lamb, that's what John was saying. There's a lamb. The Father, God, is providing a lamb that's going to take away sin. Can you see him right now? Golly. <laughs> what? Take away sin. What? Take it away? Can that, can, that, can that happen? Can you do that? That's why he needed the anointing. That's why John the Baptist was anointed to make those declarations and to proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. What is that saving? That saving includes our sins are taken away. That deposit of his righteousness comes into our life. We are born again. We are born of God. We are born in right position with God so that when we come to him, we come to him as his. We're his children. We're his own. He doesn't look at us as strangers. We're no longer strangers to the covenant. We are children of the covenant. We are children by the blood of Jesus, by his reconciliation, by his deposit of righteousness in us. We are made it. So he was made sin for us so that we would be made the righteousness of God. Leviticus 16, I want to talk about one of the pictures that God gives us to see what Jesus did. And again, they practiced this every year. We can look and we can see Jesus fulfilled this. He no longer has to do this, but we can remind ourselves by going to the picture of what he did, seeing him in this and recognizing he did this for me. Leviticus 16 talks about the scapegoat. Have you ever heard the word scapegoat? You know, it was, it was derived from the Bible. We use it to say well, that that guy was the scapegoat. He took the fall. You know, there might have been three people guilty of that crime and one person pled guilty and took the fall for it. And we would say he's the scapegoat. Why? Because all of the blame was laid upon him. He took all the responsibility for it. He's paying all the price for it, right? Well, that originated here in God's image of a work that Jesus has done for us in saving us. Leviticus 16, I'm going to begin in verse 5, and I'm going to read just portions of this chapter. He shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats, 
for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So to, for the sin offering, he took two, two kids of the goats. Verse seven, and he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord. In other words, that goat's gonna be sacrificed to the Lord. And the other goat, it says the other lot for the scapegoat. The original Hebrew says the goat of separation. You might see that maybe in the Amplified Bible. The goat of separation. Hallelujah. Because sin was separating us from God. Sin was the problem. And so the sin offering not only required the blood of the innocent animal, but it also required a removal, a separation of the sin from the people. Because as long as the sin was on or in the people, in this case, it was in them. And, and so God had to temporarily remove it from them. And then next year, they had to do it again. Why? Because they'd lived out of their flesh, out of that sin nature. And so they had to do it again. You and I, he has, we're no longer sinners in us by nature. We may have actions that we could do that would cause a sin, but by nature, we're righteous and we have the blood to cleanse us right away. We don't have to wait a year. And say, so I got to deal with this all year long until the next time for me to make a scapegoat, right? And, and no, 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 our scapegoat is available at any time. We can go to him and say, I sinned. I did something I shouldn't have done. I acted a way I shouldn't have acted. I said something I shouldn't have said. Forgive me, Lord. I washed the blood of Jesus over me for that. And Lord, forgive me. I want to be right with you. I want to do what you have, have said in your word. And so I repent for that. And so you don't have to wait a year until the scapegoat comes back around. But this scapegoat was called the goat of separation. Notice verse 9. Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. What does that mean? Well, they're going to take, they're going to, put the sin of the people, transmit it onto the goat by faith, and then they're going to take that goat and the, a strong man is going to lead it so far out into the wilderness, get the goat lost so that it can never find its way back, and then that man will return after he's gotten that, let loose to that goat out in the wilderness, and the sin would never come back. Why? Because God has separated them so that they could serve him, so that they could be with him. So it says to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Let's look at verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So what we're seeing here, we know Jesus did that, right? We, we, that's probably more prominent in our thinking. Jesus, he was my sin offering. He, on the cross, poured out his blood, and then he said, I go to my Father. And, and so he went to the mercy seat in heaven, and he, he put his blood on the mercy seat because the Bible tells us that the heavenly mercy seat has the blood on it and it speaks better things than the blood of Cain. Amen? So the blood is now on the mercy seat because our high priest, so Jesus was the sin offering, the lamb on the cross. Jesus was the high priest who carried the blood into the holy of holies in heaven and he cleansed the articles in the holy place in heaven, the, the, the uh, furniture of worship. He, he cleansed the temple, placed his blood on the altar, and then he also was our scapegoat. When was he our scapegoat? Let's look closer at the scapegoat. In verse 20, And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head 
of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. Now, you might think, now y'all are faith builders, so you know the power of words. But I want you to see, this was the gift of faith in operation. You know, when the patriarchs put their hands on their firstborn and spoke the blessing of the firstborn on them, those patriarchs were, by the gift of faith, pronouncing and declaring this on their loved ones. And so this is also what they're doing. This high priest is putting his hands and he is placing by, and then he begins to speak the sins. And, and Lord, we, we declare all the sins of the people are transmitted to this goat. So he's saying it, he's laying his hands and there's the gift of faith working and all the sins, it says, putting them on the head of the goat. So this goat was made sin. This goat hadn't done anything. It had not sinned, right? But it was made to be sin. Is that what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21? Jesus was made to be sin, had never sinned, but he was made to be sin. So in that moment, on the cross, when the sin of humanity was transmitted and placed upon Jesus, he became sin. And then he had to carry that sin away from us. Look at what it says here. Putting them on the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So the goat bared their sins. The goat carried their sins away from them, carried their sins so that their sins were no longer in their vicinity, no longer in their region. The, the sins that I did last year have been removed from me. Hallelujah. Now, again, they did it every year, but you and I, we have a scapegoat of a different kind. Jesus is our scapegoat, and he went to hell in our place. He suffered death in our place. He suffered separation from God. When he was on the cross, he knew what was coming in the garden. He knew what was coming before. But in the garden, he's praying, and he's recognizing, not my will, but your will be done. And then when he's there on the cross... It was such a shock, even though he knew he had to suffer separation from God, from the Father. It was such a shock to him. It was so foreign to him. This is the Word made flesh. This is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was in the beginning with God. Jesus had always been present with the Father. He never experienced a moment when he was not in the presence of the Father. But as he became sin, he recognized my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was still so foreign to him, such a, a shock and so traumatic that he called out, why have you forsaken me? He became sin in that moment. He became sin who knew no sin. Why? Because we were separated from the Father. We'd never known a day that we had been united to him. Before the cross, no one had walked since Adam's fall. No one had walked in that same unity and that same oneness with God, alive unto God, except Jesus on the earth, alive unto God. And now he becomes sin for us because we needed to be united to God. We'd lived our lives separated from him. So our goat of separation, Jesus the scapegoat, that he became sin and then he took it away from us so that we are no longer sinners, but we are made righteous in him. He took that sin and he removed it from us and he took it to that uninhabited place. 
He took it to that wilderness place. He took it and he suffered the necessary punishment for our peace. Let's look together at Isaiah 53. And let's see the separation so that we could have a a united relationship with God. Isaiah 53. I think a lot of times we only look at this for the healing scriptures that we see in here. And they are definitely worth our attention. But even uh, uh, to have this, to have this, Solid, confident knowledge that you are separated from sin by your scapegoat is as important for your healing because it, it deals with your relationship with God. And a lot of times people don't have the difficulty, people have difficulty in their receiving of the healing because they don't feel worthy. Everything you need from God, you need righteousness to approach him. That right standing is how I access his presence. And if I don't feel like I'm righteous, then I'm not going to have any boldness to access healing, am I? I'm not going to have any boldness to access the financial help I need from him, the blessing. Why? Because I need to know who I am in him. I need to know God loves me. I can go to him. And, And that righteousness comes by knowing he took my sin. That sin is no longer tormenting me. That sin is no longer present, interrupting my walk with God. Hallelujah. And so this in Isaiah 53, because we want to see the bigger picture, let's look at verse 3. First of all, it says, speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Young's Living, do we have Young's Living on our um, screen? Can you put Young's Living up for me? I believe it says uh, pains and sorrows. He, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Hallelujah. So he was despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. I think it's important because if the King James leaves you only with an emotional picture of grief, Oh, yeah, he was acquainted with our grief. The word in its original form means pain, uh, and or grief would mean sickness, and sorrows would mean pain. So there are pains. We're redeemed from pain. Amen. Emotional pain, physical pain. I, I remember when Sister Jeannie Caldwell recently, a, a couple of years ago, had the surgery to remove that um, a uh, tumor that had grown on her brain and uh, God supernaturally gave her restoration and, and healed her. But in the, the days following the surgery, when we called to, ke- to check on her and Pastor Caldwell said, I am standing on Isaiah chapter 53 that, she, that Jesus carried, he has carried her pains and her sicknesses. She's not gonna have pain. And you know what? She didn't have pain. So if there are things that are causing you pain in your body, begin pull your redemption out. I'm redeemed from that. He, he bore that for me. He bore pain for me. I don't have to suffer pain in my body. I don't have to suffer pain. And if you'll by faith receive that and activate it with the words of your mouth, have it in your heart first, get it in your heart, and then use your, your mouth to activate it, you'll see that pain leaving your body because Jesus bore it. So it says, uh, he was acquainted, a man of pains and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our pains. Again, in the Young's Living, he has borne our griefs. It says there, he has, our pains, he has carried them. Our sicknesses, he has borne, and our pains, he has carried them. Now, we notice this word born is not speaking of uh, a birth. It means the word carry, but it's not just carry. It's the word to, to completely remove. The word born means to bear away, to convey, 
or to remove to a distance in the, the Strong's Concordance for the Old Testament. It means to remove to a distance. So we need to read that that, that way. Our sicknesses, he has removed them somewhere else. They, they're not in my vicinity. They're not on my radar. Surely our sicknesses he has borne. Now, if sickness comes and tries to attack your body, it's trespassing. And you've got to take faith in this aspect of your redemption and resist it. Resist it. If a trespasser comes, if, somebody, if you go home today and there's somebody uh, uh, with a tent in your front yard and they've got their cooler out and they're watching on their iPad because it's, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. They're going to watch the Super Bowl from your front yard. And they've invited all their friends over and you've got all these people you don't know in your yard. Are you going to just say, oh, well, I, what, am I, what can I do? You know, it's a free world. Not in my yard. <laughs> it might be a free world on the street. You can move your business to the street, but get off my, get, get off my lawn. Right? Get off my lawn. Move your tent. You're not homesteading here. You're not living in my backyard. You're not living in my driveway. Right? Because they're trespassing. Because you have authority over what happens on that plot of ground. All right? Well, you have authority about what happens in your physical body. You don't have to let things just because it happens to everybody else. You don't have to let it happen to you. But it's not your power that stops it from happening. It's the redemption that he purchased. So you've got to build your faith in the redemption. And then you've got to, that's your, that's your authorization. That's your badge. What gives me the authority to say, not in my body. What gives me the authority to say, that pain is going to leave my body is right here. He, my scapegoat, has carried them away from me. He has removed them to a distance. Those sicknesses, pain, whatever it is, that is no longer something that has authority to encamp in my life. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement necessary to obtain our peace. That's the amplified. I like that. that. Can you show me the amplified right there? The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us. Do you see why now I say the word salvation is talking about your whole life? It's talking about, first of all, making you right with God by redeeming you and reconciling you so that you are no longer a sinner, but now you're the righteousness of God. Those sins have been removed from you. You've been cleansed of those sins and you have been made righteous in nature so that you can walk in his presence and enjoy living with God, right? But it's not just that. Everything necessary because sin is what caused sickness. There was no sickness until sin and death entered. There was no lack in poverty or financial distress until the curse came in. So everything necessary to redeem us from the curse, to redeem our lives, our finances, our health, our relationships, everything needed is in our salvation because he took the chastisement. He took the beating. He died the death we needed to die. Death is what is required for the wages of sin. The wages of sin requires a death. For people who sin, there must be a death. And we all deserved to die because we were guilty of our sins. But he died our death so that we don't have to. We can put our faith in what his death means for us and we can be free from death so we don't have to die. We may exit this physical body, but we won't be dead. When we exit our physical body, our spirit will be present with the Lord. We won't taste death because Jesus already tasted death for us, Hebrews chapter 2 says. He tasted death for every man. He died the death so that we don't even have to taste it. 
We, and that means you don't have to experience it. Amen. Hallelujah. So the righteous, if we leave, if we physically leave our bodies in natural death, we won't die. Spiritually, we'll be alive and immediately taken into the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. So he was wounded he was bruised, the chastisement, the punishment necessary for our well-being was placed on him. Hallelujah. And with his stripes, with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed. Amen. Hallelujah. So what we see then is our scapegoat. The sins were placed on him and he removed them. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to Exodus and let's look at the lamb. Because this is another thing that they practiced. Exodus 12. And this is the very first occasion. But after this, they continually rehearsed how God brought them out through the Lamb. So every time they remembered this great victory and this great deliverance, and I'm going to say it again, this is the second time that as we have sang that song about he is mighty to deliver. Mighty to deliver, he's mighty. And when I hear it, there's something that goes off in me. There's something that in my spirit that we need to believe and access and acknowledge he's the one who can deliver. He's mighty to deliver. He's mighty to deliver our loved ones from whatever lies they're believing, from whatever lifestyle they're living. He's mighty to deliver them. We need to know he's mighty. He's mighty to deliver us in financial situations. He's mighty to deliver us from physical attacks on our body. He's mighty to deliver us. He's mighty to deliver us. Hallelujah. Every time they practiced, every time they remembered, they rehearsed this occasion, they remembered it with the lamb. Now we would say, okay, God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out with all of the wealth of Egypt. So there was a financial restoration in their lives for all the years of, of that they had been oppressed and the slavery and that they had worked for that nation. They got all their paycheck in one lump sum. They walked out debt-free, right? Because when they walked, they borrowed it all. And the word is actually, uh, they required it. So what they actually did is they walked up and said to their, to their owners, their slave masters, they said, may I have all of your good jewelry and I'd like to have um, your finest uh, outfits, and uh, I want the china too. And they said, sure, honey. You go right ahead and take all that gold. You go right ahead and take my best silverware, honey. You go right ahead. Why? Because the favor of God came on them, and all of a sudden, it didn't happen because those people were so kind to the, to the, the Egyptians were so kind to the Israelites. It happened because in, in that night, the favor of God came on, and they were like, Sure, I'll give it to you. And so it says they required it of them. The King James says ask, but when you look at that word in uh, it, the Strong's Concordance, they required it of them. They went up and said, I'd like to have this, I'd like to have that, I'd like to have this, and they gladly gave it to them. Amen. They gladly gave it. That was supernatural. That did not just happen. God did that, right. right? So they came out, and then it says there was not one feeble among them. These people had not been eating well. They had not been eating the most healthy food. It says they ate out of the, the um, it, there was, there was uh, slave pots. What do they call those? Flesh pots. Flesh pots. You know what that is? Cracklings and, and, and the, the pig tongues and the, the beef tongues, the tongues, the, the innards, the gizzards. And I know some of you are like, oh, I like gizzards. <laughs> Right, but what it is, it's the leftovers. It wasn't the prime rib in those flesh pots. It was the leftovers. 
And so it, it was the not so good, the stuff you had to put a whole bunch of grease and uh, uh, cornbread dressing on it to make it even taste good, right? You had to, we got, we got to deep fry this to make it taste good, right? So they were not the best fed people. They didn't have the best nutrition, and they were not the best treated people. We see how they were made to work and how they treated them and how even Moses, the reason that he left originally is because he was trying to stop some of the wrongs that were being done to the, to the Israelites and uh, ended up going too far and murdering one of the Egyptians, and so he had to run, right? And so they were not treated well, but they came out. And there was not one feeble. So whatever movie you've seen where they're dragging them out is not scriptural. They, they weren't dragging them out on, on uh, uh, stretchers. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I'm playing the pyramid game. Like I'm, I'm giving all these things and y'all are throwing answers at me. Yeah, yeah, stretcher. There was not one feeble among them. How did that happen? How did that happen? Because you know they were feeble before. But something happened, they weren't feeble anymore. It, that word in the original, it said from Psalms, I think it's 103, 105. It says there was not one feeble among them. It says there was not one halt, not one stumbling, not one lame. Hallelujah. There was healing. Where'd they get that healing? We're about to read where the wholeness came from, the chastisement necessary to make their life well and whole was in, in, in the, the sacrifice, in the lamb. So every year when they rehearsed this deliverance, how God delivered them, there was no way they could get out of Egypt. There was no way they could get themselves out of the bondage that they were in. They were helpless until God sent a deliverer. God delivered them. And so this was supernatural. And they celebrated it and still celebrate it. And Jesus said, we will celebrate it with him. He talks about when we in that time in eternity celebrate this, he was looking forward to it. So we will be continually celebrating the deliverance of God, how God delivered. So Exodus 12, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the 10th day of this month, they shall take every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So it was the father's responsibility to provide a lamb for his house. And when John the Baptist stepped up on the river, Side and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He was declaring, The Father has provided a lamb for his house. There is a lamb for the house of God, and this lamb will take the sin away. If the household be too little for the lamb. Now we've gone from a lamb to the lamb because we're moving this into being personal. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse five, your lamb. We've gone from a lamb to the lamb to your lamb because this needs to be personal to you. You have a scapegoat. You have a lamb who has made you whole. You have one who has taken the sins away from you. You have one who has removed pain from you. You have one who has removed sickness and carried your sicknesses for you. You have one who has become sin for you. Your lamb. He goes on to describe the requirements. He shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Notice it was their responsibility 
to take the blood and apply the blood. And that blood became a signal. That blood became a marker over their house that this is a house that is kept by God. This is a house that is protected by God. And they would take hyssop, we see in different instances, which is like a a brush with long uh, um, streams on it, long uh, uh, brush, like like, kind of looked like a paintbrush, I would guess, but it was kind of long. And they would take it and they would strike the doorpost. But we take our our faith-filled words We use our tongue like that hyssop and we apply the blood to our children. We apply the blood to our grandchildren. We plead the blood. We take our faith and we use that. But we have to take the blood. We have to take the blood with our mouth and we have to apply that blood to the situation. It's not automatic. It's not just going to happen because you're saved. It's going to happen because you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth that the blood of Jesus marks my children, that my children are kept of God, that my children are the property of God and whatever demonic oppression is trying to come against them has to loose them and let them go because I plead the blood of Jesus and I mark this family for the keeping power of God. Hallelujah. And they shall take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Notice they had to partake of the lamb. They had to receive of the lamb. Eat it not raw, nor sodden with water, but roast with fire, with head, his head with his legs, with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. Nothing remain. Eat it all. Receive it all. And in John chapter 6, we have record of Jesus preaching a sermon that caused many people to walk away from his ministry in one day. And his sermon was this, I am the bread from heaven. His sermon was this, I am the lamb sacrificed. My flesh is meat. Indeed, my blood is drink. Indeed, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life in him. He said, you've got to eat. And they all turned and walked away, not realizing that Jesus was saying, I am the lamb you've been practicing with. You've been practicing eating of the lamb. And I'm telling you, if you'll receive me, if you'll receive all of me, if you'll receive every revelation I've ever preached to you, if you receive every declaration I bring to you, if you will receive my instructions, if you will receive me as your Savior, eat the flesh, drink the blood, eat the flesh, drink the blood, eat the redemption, drink the redemption, eat the protection, drink the protection, partake of the one who has provided your freedom, your liberty. There's victory in your mouth every time you take of that broken body of Jesus. There's victory in your life every time you drink and you partake of the blood that he shed on the cross to to liberate and reconcile you unto God. He said, my flesh is meat and I want you to eat it. My blood is drink and I want you to drink it. And he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about receiving of everything that the broken body provides, everything that the shed blood provides. Walk in the fullness of who you are in Christ. Walk in the authority you have in Jesus' name. Exercise the victory that's yours by inheritance. You're a child of God. You're an heir of the kingdom. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall prove it to be wrong walk in the fullness of who you are and see the glory of God in your life he says eat my flesh drink my blood and then he he goes in that last supper with his disciples and he's celebrating this with the broken body with the shed blood he's celebrating this and and he says do this do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it. Do what? Take of it. Eat of it. Partake of it. Receive of it. Do this 
And remember, well, they practice remembering this deliverance for years, decades, hundreds of years. They're practicing this deliverance from Egypt. And Jesus said, I am your deliverance from Egypt. I am your deliverance. I am your deliverance. You never have to be afraid another day in your life. You never have to be broke another day in your life. You never have to be sick another day in your life. I'm your deliverance. I'm your freedom. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why do we have to eat and drink? To remember. To remember. Communion is not sad. We should not be sad. Communion is victory. This broken body is my wholeness. This shed blood is my covenant with God. The New Testament in my blood. I'm in covenant with God Almighty. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Do it with power. Do it with faith. Do it with a recognition that when this, when I receive of this cracker, you know, when I, when I got baptized, I went down in water. But the Bible says that I was buried with him by that. It was natural water, but by faith, I was buried with him. Amen. This is a natural cracker, but by faith, I'm receiving not just this cracker. I'm receiving everything, that the chastisement, the whip on his back. I'm receiving what that brought for me. When, when every sickness in the entire world came upon him in a moment on the cross and he was so disfigured that they couldn't even identify him as a man. They were, they were, they were disgusted to look at him. They abhorred, they like, oh, God is cursing him. No, the curse came on him that I deserved. And every time I partake of that, I'm saying, what you did for me is mine. I'm eating. I'm drinking. I'm eating your flesh. I'm drinking your blood. And eternal life is not just when I get to heaven, it's working in me right now. That eternal life is bringing me up above this situation. That eternal life is bringing me a victory over that curse that's trying to operate in my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask if the ushers would distribute those elements because when we remember, we want to remember in faith. This is so important that in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, Jesus dealt with me about this. And what he dealt with him about was the way they were doing it. And if you want to look on the screen, because I know your hands are going to be full, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, I have received of the Lord... That which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he goes through, we're going to read those in just a moment, but he goes through and rehearses it. He's saying, God dealt with me that we're not doing this right. God dealt with me that we're not bringing the honor to the body and the bread. And because we're not bringing the right honor to the body and the bread, because we don't have faith in what it does for us, we're treating it casually. And if you read in this, he says, for instance, in the previous verses, he said, when you come together, therefore, in place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's talking about how they're doing it. They're, they're doing it with um, categories of who's important and who's not important and They've got people over here and they're going extravagant and they're bringing, they're bringing fancy, expensive food and these people over here who don't have as much money and they're, they're, it's all division and it's all separation and it's all, it's all about an event. And they were treating the Lord's Supper as something casual. 
And that's what he, he corrects. He says, if you eat not discerning, look at this phrase in verse 29, not discerning the Lord's body. This, in the Weiss translation says, if he does not properly evaluate the body. The Amplified says, without discriminating and recognizing uh, with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. So they weren't looking, they, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't treating each other right as the body of Christ. And they weren't looking at this representation when they were receiving it with the faith and with the honor to say, in this moment, I am receiving the payment to make me whole. This blood is his blood.